Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No, no. Sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. (laughs) Sibling rivalry. That's good. This episode was so much fun. Oh, my God. And I loved it because it was spiritual and funny and irreverent, but still like. I I didn't even know what to expect. Yeah. We haven't even introduced these guys. So let's everyone maybe take a guess. Okay, what happens when you mix a comedian and a rabbi? I don't know. I mean, I don't well, know. You get two brothers. You get Moshe and David Castro. <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> oh, it was so great. I mean, what a what an amazing coupling. And David is so wonderful. I was like, can he be my rabbi? I need I need David and some David in my life, you know? Oh, he was so cool. He was just so cool and yeah. down to earth and 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 funny. And 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 just watching and listening to the two of them who are just so different yet so connected yeah. and so the same, but have had d- way different paths in their lives. Oh my God. I mean, Moshe, Moshe was like a mess. Yeah. I mean, and I their, mean, their was, story, which I really don't want to get into is, is yeah, fascinating. It is because, and I don't I let's just not even say anything, but let's, so Moshe, 
he is the host of a pod, of a uh, the Endless Honeymoon podcast, which he does with his wife. Yeah, and it's then really funny. David is the author of Parsha Nut Fifty Four Journeys into the world of Torah commentary. So like, right. you couldn't so, get right there. Yeah. <laughs> but he's very modern and the way he talks about you know our religion our 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 religion Oliver um mm-hmm. not practicing religion but but what we were born into is uh it's just like really refreshing and easy to comprehend they were great this was great i loved it their parents? Hey, we don't want to give anything away honestly okay we you don't, have to don't say anything to this, but, but, okay. no but we got to say one thing i know you're about to say it yeah, you know, both their parents were deaf. Both of their parents were deaf. Yes, that's right. And, and you know, they divorced in early age, blah blah blah. But just hearing how they got through life and the different past paths that they took is just was fascinating. Really fascinating. I love this. And again, you know, it's one thing when we're talking to specialists, and you and I get to kind of banter in our sibling way with the things that we love and passion are passionate about. Uh, or just share things we're passionate mm-hmm. about. But when we actually sit down with siblings like this that have stories mm-hmm. that are kind of make your jaw drop going, what? Yeah. How great, like how, how was that? You know, and it, 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 it's like, I don't know. This was one of those episodes that made me love that we decided to do this with each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, check it out. You're going to love it. Hey. Hi. Well, hello. You guys are in the same room. See, I would have manipulated this to make sure we were in the same room too, but I was told we didn't need to be. I know we didn't need to be, but I wish we were. Is this your podcast room? Yeah, I thought like at some point, you know, like if at any point there's a lull in the conversation, yeah, I can kind of lean. lean and do a <laughs> I like it. You know? I like it. You know, this podcast isn't really that dynamic, but you know what? I <laughs> it's really kind of <laughs> Well, I'm so excited to have you guys on. Um, yeah, I just got off the phone with uh, Bobby Lee, by the way. He said to say hello. Oh, awesome. I love Bobby. He's one of the greats. He's the best. He was our first, no, second podcast we ever did. Yeah. And and one of our, one of our most listened. Him and and his brother, who's like secretly better than Bobby. (laughs) I know his brother too. This is going to be right on theme. I'm. I'm secretly better than most. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, you know what's funny about David and I is that depending on what circle we're in, he's my brother. See, you guys are in the same field, mm. but depending on what circle we're in, he's my brother or I'm his brother. So if I, if we're in a Jewish thing, they go, "Oh, you're David's brother." Mm, yeah. But if we're but literally in the rest anywhere of- else in the world, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but right. you guys both have podcasts, right? That's we true. do. So you I kind do. of are in the same I guess. line of work. Yeah. Sort of. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a difference of, of scale. And, yeah. then, and then you but, did it together in the pandemic. So in the pandemic, you guys started doing a podcast. We did do together. that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How that was, was that? Our Venn diagram finally started coming together. I mean, what the the truth is like every every rabbi kind of wants you know that thing every comedian wants to be a rock star every yeah. rock star wants to be a comedian yes it's yes. kind of like every rabbi wants to be a comedian and I think what these is days this every narrative comedian, oh 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 
no, no, you, David, 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 David. That, that he's he's spot on. I mean, I was I was literally about to say that most rabbis that I know. And How many rabbis do you know? I've been to a million no, bar a bat rabbi. mitzvahs. They're all telling jokes like it's a joke fest. They love it. Yeah, rabbis do. do have bad humor, but I think most of his most of his narrative is sort of like. You know, David kind of wants to be like me. You know, like I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but every but every comedian these days kind of wants to be a, like a kind of a thought leader, kind of a spirit thought leader. You know, everybody. So you know, like yeah. I, I, all I want to do is shape the minds and hearts of the youth of tomorrow. So. Right. But, but I, I wanted I wanted to start with this in reading all your guys' stuff. So your dad, what? You, hold on, your dad. Uh, orthodox, and then your mom, atheist. Did I get that right? No, dad's Hasidic. Hasidic. Well, orthodox. I mean, yeah. Is that correct? Like, how does that even work? How's well, let's that, get to that. Let's, how's that a possibility? Well, both those well, things it, are kind of true. Uh, you, you, you want to tell them most? Well, yeah, we've been lying about our background, and so, like, we can't keep track of the story. <laughs> and so, in that way, we're kind of true, but we kind of didn't make it up. Uh, well, basically, my father, um, my father, both my parents are. Every time I answer this question, I start having to go back into the old country. Like mm-hmm. it's so hard to answer these questions without going back to my great, our great great grandfather. Oh wow, uh, who was a Hasidic Jew, and he had like how many kids, David? He had four children. He had four kids, and they all stayed religious except for our grandmother. She rebelled against the family. My great my my great great not my great great my great grandfather came here. He left the family in Hungary. And to go oh, like slaughter kosher We're Hungarian. Jews. We're Hungarian Jews. Oh, we. Oh, all right. Yeah. We're Hungarian Jews. That's such an family. important distinction. It's such an important distinction to say we're Hungarian Jews. We go, oh, we're Hungarian. Back then, we would have uh, right. would have rounded you up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he came over before the war, and by the time he called for them, she was the oldest. She was like, "Fuck this guy! You abandoned me in Hungary. I'm. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with religion." I'm out. So she became like a, a civil rights activist. communist Jew of the Lower East Side kind of type. Really? Mm-hmm. Literally, literally card-carrying American Communist Party member, civil rights marcher person, just nothing to do with religion. And she married a Yiddish novelist named David Kasher, which is David's namesake. Um, and they were like activists and whatever. Then they had my, my father, who uh, was born deaf. And, um, and he, so he had an ambient sense of Hasidic Judaism in his life, but he was not a religious person. He was a beatnik and uh, David, you can jump in at any point, Mm. but an an artist and a freak and a weirdo and a painter in the Lower East Side. And he met my mother because she's deaf. They got married. They continued their beatnik life together. And then when I was nine months old and David was three, my mother said she was going on vacation to back to her hometown of Oakland, California, and we never returned. Mm. Uh, and he, she, and in the wake of his family leaving him behind, my father went back to the thing that was his kind of, you know, wow, his net, I guess, his spiritual net. He became a born again Jew. He then became a Hasidic Jew by marrying into an extremely uh, hardcore sect of Hasidic Judaism. And so it's not like we were raised in an atheist Hasidic household. It's that my dad fell into a, a, a stream of extreme religiosity. Kind wow. of a they thing, were like, David? Yeah, right. I think I would say that they, like, together, when they were together, they practiced sort of a, a traditional but light Jewish practice. But then when they split, they each sort of 
change their lives drastically, like restarted their lives by shifting that variable. And my dad's approach was to become sort of ultra orthodox. And my mom's approach was just to say, like, forget all this. I'm starting over back, you know, back in my hippie, you know, home country of California. And where are you guys now? We're both in Los Angeles. We're both in Los Angeles. You're both in LA. We could have and, been in the same room, but we just didn't get it together to I, do that. We haven't, and David and I, to be honest with you, David and I, this is the first conversation we're having. We're estranged. So this is the first conversation <laughs> we're having in over. Perfect. Very but when you, I, Are you, um, your dad is still in New York? No, he's in heaven. Oh, okay, so your father died. <laughs> Long time or, ago. Long time ago, like a twenty is it like three or so years ago now? Yeah, I was yeah twenty two, twenty three years ago. But here's the good oh, news about oh, him being wow. dead. But you okay. had a reconciliation of sorts, didn't you? What's that? Did you have a reconciliation of sorts? Because wasn't he sort of not the greatest dad in the world? You know? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't characterize him. Uh, well, the the thing is, now that he's dead, he can hear, and yeah, so he I can know. hear this podcast. So I, I wouldn't want to say yeah, no. My dad careful. was a good dad, but it was a very complicated. No, uh, uh, it was complicated by divorce. We were kind of that classic '80s divorced family, in that my dad really wanted us. Uh, actually, I would say he was an impressively active uh, East Coast Hasidic Jewish father. He wanted us to come move to be with him. And uh, never stopped that fight. Uh, but I, as I got older, wanted that less and less. And I think, David, your trajectory maybe was a little different. David really wanted, I think, to be there. I was, I was, always, I was always really into it, yeah. This was a typical 80s father's move because our 80s father was the exact opposite. There was no fight. Mm-hmm. What, what I mean is, is more that, uh, oh, that there was a divorce and our families didn't get along and that the tension in the family was not because my mom was bad or my dad was bad to us, but more that they fucking hated each other mm-hmm. and were like openly fighting, via, right. proxy fighting via, via us. Got right, it. okay, got it. You were like the soft we were just, bullets, right? We were just talking about this like uh, the other day, whether like, you, you know that statistic, like half of marriages end in divorce? Yeah. And there's like, there, I'm not sure that that's actually a true statistic. We were like de- debating that, but it felt, the 80s is definitely the time where it felt like a true st- st- statistic and felt like everybody's parents were divorced. And also it was like, there was so much divorce, it felt like nobody knew how to do divorce. Like everybody was so bad at it and everybody's so angry at each other. It was like just, if you had divorced parents, it just sucked. And I, and I think it did for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. That's so you guys grew up in Oakland for the most part. That's right. And we would go to Brooklyn for our summer vacation and literally... This is true. We would go from the airport to the Hasidic Jewish barber shop. The barber would give us like he would try to decalifornify <laughs> our haircut. But it was kind of difficult because like there was supposed to be growth here, you know, because this is a Hasidic neighborhood. So there's supposed but we didn't have that growth because we had the kind of classic California bowl cut, which I guess I kind of am rocking these days again. <laughs> but uh and then we would literally I mean, this is seems made up, but we would put on slacks and a dress shirt and a velvet yarmulke. And then we would go into the the Hasidic neighborhood and we would sort of pretend that we knew what we were doing. And David was a master chameleon and I I just couldn't get it together. Mm. Like I, I, I spent all those summers so aware that I didn't like, I people could tell that I liked, I listened to Too Short, you know, mm-hmm. like I just knew they knew, you mm-hmm. know. But I also, I also... <laughs> 
They get chat. They're like, oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Too short. I can like, um, see, when you no, were but, saying that, no, I could, see, I could see you as a little boy. Like I could see you with the young, I could see you in that moment. David, what, I wanted to know what you were going to say, but the thing that was really difficult for me was that I didn't know Hebrew like at all. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, so I couldn't pretend. And this neighborhood was so hardcore that an English prayer book was like a red, it was like a scarlet letter. Mm. Like everybody would be like, why would you, that none of that makes sense. And David very quickly learned Hebrew and he could follow along in, in the Hebrew prayer book. And I would have to carry with me to temple this kind of like neon sign saying this kid, did, there's something wrong here. I mean, I was just, I was just really into it. You know what I mean? Like I was into it from the start. Like that was just a, looking back, I was just the kind of person probably that was just drawn to religion but I would, yeah, I was probably a master chameleon. Like I was a good faker too, but like I most just sort of hated it. And I was like, this is cool. What is this? I had this like moment, I guess what, five years ago or something where I was like, I just need to know more about where I come, like what, who I am, like who I am, like where I come from and what we are. My, our grandma was very, was very, I mean, she, you know, put a napkin over her head every Friday and lit candles and would say the prayer. And we just like, you know, did what we had to do. Like we went to temple, but we didn't know what the hell was going on, you know? And then when she died, it kind of died with her. And so I just had this whole thing. I was like, I had all these messages happening and signs. So I was like, I need a rabbi. Found Rabbi Levy. And the one thing that made me so happy about us was I said to him, like, here's the thing. I am not religious. I have a hard time with religion. I want to challenge everything that you are going to teach me. And he's like, yes. <laughs> he's like, this is, this is what we, our tribe is really good at. Challenge it. Challenge me. And that was like my entry into learning about our religion. I think though, as a kid, like to be thrust into what would be like from like a California non-religious kind of world into like something so intensely strict. I mean, isn't that kind of traumatizing a little bit? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you my experience of it, which is I think that, you know, I mean, I was drawn to it for sure, but I also was like, that was our time with our dad. And I just, I wanted to be close to my dad. I wanted to impress my dad. I wanted to like, you know, be seen as good in my father's eyes. And like there was, he happened to live in such a way that there was like this entire infrastructure of rules to follow that would make you good. And an entire community of like, you know, in, in, you know, in, in retrospect, like not that friendly, you know, group of people, very judgmental, kind of like a, a kind of oppressive culture. But it was a way of like, for me, I just sort of used that adaptation to be like a good little boy to my dad, basically. Like that, that's a big part of it for me. What about you, most? Well, I think the story that I, well, I'm thinking of two stories. Uh, one is when, you know, the classic thing you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? What I wanted to be when I grew up at that time was a, a, a Rebbe. Do you know what a Rebbe is? A Rebbe isn't a rabbi. A Rebbe, a rebbe is like a, a rabbi with a cult, right? Like a Rebbe is like a, a, a rabbi with a following. I, if you'd asked me when I was like ten, nine, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have said, I want to be a Rebbe or a baseball player. Now, I don't care about sports and I don't really care that much about religion either. Like they were both um, projections 
of uh, insecurities. Like, I didn't like baseball. I didn't want to be a baseball player, but I wanted to be like a man and tough. And I didn't want to be religious, but I wanted to be like, fit into my dad's thing or whatever. So that was who, that was the kid that I was. But at a certain point, I started to realize, like, I don't think I'm going to pull this off. Like, because there's this whole thing in ultra-Orthodox Judaism that you are either, it's kind of binary. Would you agree, David? You're either, you are from, which is you are religious and fully in, or you just kind of like are not. And I started to realize that I wasn't, it wasn't going to happen for me. And I went on this drive with this rabbi. There was a rabbi in town that was teaching me Hebrew. And to his credit, I mean, it was very sweet, like, that he found out I didn't know how to read Hebrew and he would bring me into his house uh, on Sundays and teach me the, the alphabet. And it's like, this dude was like a Talmudic master. Like, it's like Alan Turing teaching some kid the multiplication tables. Like, he, <laughs> he had better things to do yeah. than that. But he, And I, I was frustrated and I remember I was failing. I just couldn't get it. And this is a, a, a memory. He, ca- he goes, don't worry about it. He, goes, he calls in one of his sons. He's like, don't be... Don't be ashamed. Hold on. Shmuli or whatever. He calls his son in and his son comes in. He's like, yes, Tati? He goes, say the American alphabet. And the kid goes, this is an American kid. The kid goes, um, A, G, G, T, Lee. Like he doesn't know the fucking alphabet. <laughs> and the, the rabbi goes, it's fine. You don't know Hebrew. He doesn't know English. Everybody's fine. <laughs> oh my God. That was cool. Like he... He would humiliate his son to make me feel more connected to my people. But, anyway. but it's also it's also an illustration of the fact that, they, that we lived in, in during the summers in a community, and our family w- was the kind of community where someone could grow up an American and and have like a strong yep. accent and and no real like strong command of English. We're like we have cousins who like learned English as a second language in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, right? We have cousins. We have people you, I think if you went to them and you were like, go Yankees, they'd be like, this is the Yankees. Like, what? Nah, no, nah, everybody knows the Yankees. Okay, maybe, I, this is the other thing about David and I, our narratives of this time are really informed by the people we've become. Right. And like when David was saying, I think they had a traditional Jewish upbringing, you know, sort of, I always think like they were doing drugs in the Lower East Side together until my mom left my dad. Like we really have a different window uh, into what was going on, even though none of us know. Uh, anyway, but but all the while, your father is is both of your parents are deaf, right? So how are you communicating with them? Did you did you immediately know sign language growing up? Yeah, that was yeah. our first language. That was yeah, in a way, that was our first language. Um, if you had caught us early enough, we would have been like A, B, G. We didn't right. know English either. <laughs> we knew sign language. Right. Right. Um, people always ask me how you, I learned to talk. And yeah. I always say, I learned from my brother. The, the interesting question is, how did he learn I to was, talk? I was going to ask that question. Yeah. Like, how did you learn to speak? Well, I mean, I think it is like growing up with parents who speak a different language. Like eventually you just pick it up from people around. There are obviously other people speaking around. But I, my dad once said that he, he came into the living room and saw me like singing along with a television commercial. So I guess I learned to speak from TV. Like, you know, God, God bless TV. Well, <laughs> yeah, and the everything Amer- the around child. and people. And obviously you yeah. go outside and you hear, you know, people talking. Yeah. Um, At what age did your mom sort of pick you guys up and get out of there and go to Oakland? How old were you guys? I, I was, was nine four. months old. And did- yeah. So, so your age difference is three and a half years. Three uh, and yeah. just a bit. Yeah. So you yeah. were little when she when she took you out of there. 
Yeah. So we really led like a bi-coastal life. You know, it wasn't like divorced parents. It was like two parents on two sides of a continent practicing two entirely different like religions and lifestyles and, and in certain ways, value systems. And so we yeah, were just, so, so talk about know. your mom a little bit, because, you know, we know what your dad was doing over on the East, on the East coast there, um, sort of that born again Jew, but your mom in Oakland was, was she just this sort of free spirited, you know, let's just get after it type of mom. A hundred, hundred thousand percent. Our, our childhood was as it, what's weird was the six weeks. Our childhood was as California hippie. Like I, 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 I was talking, we went to a hot spring the other day, uh, my wife and I, and there was naked people everywhere. And my wife is uh, from Illinois and a little less comfortable. And I was like, we were talking about that. And I was like, oh, the amount of naked hippies I saw mm-hmm. by the time I turned 10, mm-hmm. I mean, it couldn't be quantified. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, 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 nothing <laughs> about this feels sexual to me at this hot spring because, it, I, you know, this was the, the the landscape of my childhood. I mean, would you say, David, I mean, disability rights marches, uh, uh, pro-choice marches. Yeah, I mean, we were just in it, in the hippie, the hippie zeitgeist for sure. That's so fun. Yeah, and that, That's so colorful. Yeah, and that was, that was part of it too, is that my mom was sort of a disability rights activist along with it. So it's definitely like it was political and civil rights and like, you know, that bled over into other people's civil rights. It was definitely that kind of, you know, old school. Like she was a born-again hippie. Like, she went back to that culture and really lived it. It's funny. You're living yeah. just two completely opposing lifestyles. It's just so interesting. And did you, where did the rebellion sort of come from? It feels like, Dave, you you went to your dad's side in the sense of how does, from a psychological place, like how do, how do I get love from him, right? So how, 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 do, how do I have my dad sort of accept me? Let me follow in his footsteps so he loves me. That's my psych 101, right? But like mom, you know, Moshe, would you say that you were more like, let's follow, let's follow that road, you know, because obviously it's well-documented what all the shit that you went through. Dude, when I was reading over your the bio and the laundry list of, I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, the amount of places that you were at before 12 years old, 13 years old is, is crazy. The institutions. Well, I mean, I think for me, I think that David's, uh, David's found, I mean, David is a rabbi and he's like an, un, uh, not to toot his horn, but he's an unbelievably talented and brilliant rabbi. He's good at what he does. Uh-huh. And so I think whether that was, fate or or what he manifested through willpower uh david fell into the into the thing that he was supposed to eventually land in very early on and for me but i think he correct me if i'm wrong david you you probably have the same feeling for me my childhood was, was typified by this feeling of i don't belong anywhere and i you know i was uh, not deaf but not hearing not not hasidic but not not I. I was in. We both grew up, you know, really broke in Oakland, in Oakland Public Schools, which was like ninety percent black at the time. So it was not black, but not. So every space that I entered felt like I'm not this enough. I just I can't find my groove in any kind of. It was a a a kind of walking imposter syndrome, and so that type of person, that type of kid, is like absolutely destined to fall into drugs and rebellion because that is the the obliteration of getting high when you're when you're that young all of that stuff melts away it's like i could care less where i belong i have found where i belong and it's like right here so that to me 
my destiny in in the same way David's was to find you know uh, religiosity. My destiny was to find uh, a, a way out of that feeling of like hyper difference, and I found that in rebellion. And so I was twelve when I found the bad kids at the back of the school, and they were all they were the same as me, even though they were nothing like me. They were the same as me. They didn't fit either. It's like drugs or God. Those are the two options. Love <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. you, God. <laughs> so, what so, about both? So you. That's also. I possible. mean, they, they, they link sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I did them. They link sometimes. Of course. So, but t- but take us through a little bit of that. So, like, you started you started to kind of dabble in drugs, and then how soon did that become like an actual real problem? And was your mom even aware that it was happening at the time? You know, I remember my mom telling us about her experiences on acid, you know, and she, I believe, was trying to do a cautionary tale. And I remember listening to that and going, I'm doing that. That is something that I'm doing. It will. Right. Uh, but I was, yeah, I was like uh, in seventh grade was the first time I got high. So I guess I was like 12. And I, you know, it's funny. We're talking about our backgrounds and our mutual backgrounds. There was a summer where I got high and then I went to um I went to immediately to Brooklyn because it was like the timing. It's like the end of seventh grade. I got high for the first time and then I was off to the old country. And I remember like knowing that my des- my life was different and that this was no longer there was no part of me that wanted to be a Rebbe or a baseball player that summer. All I wanted to do was get back to Oakland and continue doing whatever that was. And up to and including like sneaking in and drinking the Shabbat wine and and like like trying to recreate that experience. Or I remember we were walking through Washington Square Park and the, like one of those like uh, weed dealers was like, you know, trying to, you know, those unsolicited mm-hmm. weed dealers. I don't even know if they still do that. But, you know, they're People's Park and Washington Square Park where they'd be mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. you need any weed or whatever. Weed, weed. And I remember going, my dad was with me and I remember going like, I want some weed. Like that is all that I want. I want... That's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and then after that, I don't think I went back to New York after that summer for a few years. So the, the, because I got into so much trouble so instantly, by the time eighth grade came around and I was fully in that, my life, I, uh, in the middle of that year, I dropped, I dropped out of school in eighth grade. I started getting arrested at the, in, in the middle of that school year. I, well, like, why would you get arrested? Like, you were you were just like, were you vandal? Like, what were you stealing? stealing? Yeah, you were steal just stealing things, stealing to stealing, sell tagging, to buy. Islands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just in a. Li- you ever see kids? Yeah, yeah of course. Watching yeah. Square Park. That yeah. was us. Yeah, I watched that movie like a documentary. No, it was like, I oh, these are. Wow, I didn't know they got to go to raves. Kids like this got to go to raves in, in on the East Coast. That seems really fun. That was the only difference was that they actually went to a cool party. What was uh, what was your tag? <laughs> um, I wrote Sake S A K E and uh, and I think Dice D I S E Dice. Oh, yeah, the tag is so funny. Some pronounce it Sake. Yeah, <laughs> mine was because I was I, I was I loved I was tagging like I mean I'm so ridiculous I tagged like the Pacific Palisades though you know what I mean uh-huh. like, I got no, no, I got he, I got like, up in the Palisades he but, literally oh, tagged your, your, your name was 401k right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> he literally tagged like no. the, the like on sunset and like Capri. Right. Like, I was like, like the like yeah. the, the post was, office uh, box. Fo P H O E was my tag. Look culturally appropriative too. Very, but early well, same days. With sake, nobody, same yeah. with sake. Sake. Oh yeah, that's there. That's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, we were uh, both just passionate about Asian yeah, cuisine. We you know, that was our thing. <laughs> <laughs> sake and pho. You and me. David, <laughs> <laughs> did you ever? You never did, did you? Me? No, no, oh. I never did. No. Well, Neither are the good kids in the family. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just remember Oliver. I mean, even I was like th- almost three years younger. I was like, you're you're ridiculous. Like you're a joke. I got up. I, <laughs> I, was, I got up. Though. I was like eight. I was like, this is absurd. <laughs> it was cool. And then and then and then he had a a, a dance um, crew. Uh, dance crew. Like hip hop was like you know. Ooh. Well, yeah. Did like you break a- dance? Yeah, we were called the Rice Krispie Snap Crackle and Pop. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to nice. go battle all these other dance crews at these underage clubs and stuff. Yeah, it was. Do you guys? Do you have any That's video? Cool. You got to attach that to this, but like uh, for more, I wish link, no. link here. There's got to be video. No way. It was, it was 1992. Yeah, but we have so much video. Well, yeah, no, but it was early 90s. I, embarrassing identity crisis details. Um, there was a time when I was very young, before I really got into trouble, when I wanted to, I thought I'd start rapping. And, uh, and I was oh. like, well, I'll be a rapper. And then I was like, what will my rap name be? And my, my, my name's Moshe, but my first name is, is an M as well. That's, a, that's for a, the Patreon only listeners, uh, what that <laughs> name is. It's Mark, but it was Mark Moshe Factor is my name. So I thought MM, MM, I know, ah. I'll be Eminem. No. That'd be a nice uh, rap name. So I really was like, I am Eminem. This is before Eminem happened. I was like a nine-year-old kid in Oakland going... My name is Eminem. Or oh I could have been. I could have been. A- you gotta. You gotta sue him. You gotta sue him for copyright. You get so much, even a fraction. But fraction. I was heavily into that too. Like we used to. We used to just get so high and sit in the car and just freestyle over breakbeats. Like that was our night. That's what we did. Yeah, but you're actually really good. Huge at fat farm clothes, triple five sole, like Jerbo jeans. Like I, everything was so massive. <laughs> This you is know. so familiar to me. Kate, you, you know the embarrassment that it's we just, felt walking It was just <laughs> so absurd. Ollie had like a Nissan. What, a Honda Prelude. He had a, a Prelude. That shit, like, I put all, every list, dime little, I had into the sound system. The thing would like come off the ground. Yeah, yeah, it literally like was this tiny little weird car that like just vibrated <laughs> through the Palisades. <laughs> it just would be like... <laughs> I just love the whole culture. I just I still love it. But it was I was just so obsessed with it. But you're a good freestyler. We still, and you know what? Moshe was too, I gotta say. While we're shouting out our really? siblings. Moshe was, Moshe was good at it. Listen, I mean, these are embarrassing times, but, but uh, you know, it's funny. You're talking about this stuff and like all of the fun, that stuff sounds fun, like dancing and cars and sound systems. Like my first interlude with the, that, I, I feel like you were actually sort of entering the, the, the fun parts of hip hop culture. And like my... The kids that I grew up with in Oakland, like none of it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of gross. Yeah. And it was it, it later when I got sober and my turned my life around, uh, which was still very young. Then I started uh, 
I became like the rave impresario of San Francisco, all sober. And that was actually where things got fun. That's where the triple five soul and yeah. the nice sound systems, and the good times and the dancing, that's where that all happened. But the other stuff just sucked kind of. And it made things worse because David seemingly was thriving the entire time. Well, I was just I mean, about David to ask doing- that. I was about to ask that like about David. Like when you're watching your your younger brother go through this, like how are you handling this? I mean, because you're not really, you don't have the capacity to sort of, you know, sit down with him and have real conversation. You're still young yourself because he was so young. I mean, yeah, for sure. I think at first I just thought he was so stupid. Like I was just, first of all, like it's not like I did nothing, but it was, I never got caught for anything. But I just thought it was like, like if you planned well, you didn't get caught for things. But also he was just so chaotic that nobody was paying attention to me. But I just still felt like, why are you always getting caught? Why are you always screwing up? And I don't think it was until, right, like I was a kid too. And I don't think it was until like the end of high school and the beginning of college and then being in college and hearing reports from back home and starting to realize like, oh my gosh, there's like a real problem here, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where were you in college? I went to Wesleyan. In Connecticut. Okay, okay so you so were, I was you like were on the other coast. Across the country. Yeah. Yeah. How was that for you? Good. You mean yeah. I mean, I I I I was I think I was trying to still kind of trying to get back to the East Coast, back to my dad. Like that was a big propulsion for me. But then once I got to college, I think that was the time when I escaped all of the I the religious question. I remember growing up, I don't know if you felt this way, Moshe, but I felt like okay, I'm going to be 18. Like, I felt like the divorce, the terms of the divorce were the terms of my life. And so, like, I had to go back and forth between these two very different worlds. And then I had this feeling from when I was a little kid, like, when you're 18, you have to decide whether you're going to be religious or secular or, you know, a hippie or, you know, did more you, Did you put this on yourself, though? Or was this... I think I just thought, like, oh, well, once you're 18, you decide for yourself. And, like, I had been always going back and forth, but I would have to, like decide this and side with one parent. That's just the way I think I saw the world. Like, I also think, I also think, David, that our, our dad and our family was set up in such a way that it was like, your mother has kept you from the kingdom. Right. And that's just the way it is. But there is a time at which you can walk through the gates and you can be this kind of person. I don't right. know if my dad did it purposely. He never laid a religious trip on us once, to his credit. Like, it was never about, like, you're sinful living that life back there. Never. It was always like, this is so awesome. And it's so, it's too bad that you can't be in it with us. And I, so I think on some level, yeah, I knew that it was a rejection earlier in my life than David did. David didn't ultimately, I think, feel that rejection, but I knew I wasn't going to do it. But I do think there was a, a a crossroads that we all, that we knew we were facing. And it was, what was our destiny going to be? Was it going to be in this world of God or in this world of Californianness or whatever? Hmm. I, I mean, I, yeah. And when, so I went to college, I felt like, oh, now I'm 18. I'm going to decide one of these or the other. And then like very quickly, I think my college years were my wild years. Cause suddenly I was like, oh, I don't have to think about this stuff at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting the way you described it, Moshe. Like, kind of being chaotic and wild is a way of not actually thinking about, like making major choices about your life and who you are. And college was definitely like an escape. And then soon after college, my dad died. And then that kind of catapulted me back into all these questions. And I was very quickly like in grief, but also in trying to figure everything out. I was like in in a, a yeshiva, like a, a seminary in, in Israel. And I just sort of dove in the deep end and then 
found mm. you know my way back to somewhere in the middle. And that's sort of how you d- not dealt with your father's death, but that he propelled you to sort of you know go one go that way. Yeah, it was all wrapped up for me because, yeah. like, I I do think I was really drawn to to the spirituality behind it all, but it was all embodied in my father and what he had because we hadn't really grown up that way. He was just this figure in the distance that was like living this life, and so yeah, like it's very hard for me to separate the, I mean, at this point, I, you know, I think I have my own relationship to it, but at that time it was like the grief for my father and the religious legacy that he left behind and what I was trying to be in the world, all of that just felt like totally jumbled up. And I was just kind of trying to like stumble my way through it. How did he pass away? He had cancer. I killed him. Oh, (laughs) I didn't know you were, oh. (laughs) There's a bummer. You're religious. Uh, yeah, that kind of. So oh, yeah. He, but when you, when, oh, Marshall, when, sorry. Had, when your dad died, when dad died, though, how did you handle it? You know, I mean, was that. Well, this is interesting in hearing. I mean, I know David's narrative with this because uh, I watched it and I saw it happen. And then, but it, what's interesting is that our paths, I mean, David and I have been, were very close and like our paths were intertwined. Uh, obviously, literally, but also like, you know, because we had this singular childhood experience, I feel like both David and I, even though our angles were slightly different, we both had the sense of like, you're the only other human being on earth that understands this thing that we're, that we're, this battle we're in with the deafness and the sickness and the kind of bizarre soup that was our, our background. And so we were very close as a result of that. Um, but, you know, I had my thing and he had his thing. And when uh, and when my dad died, you know, at that point I was sober and I was like on a path of self-improvement and stuff. And I think that both David and I um, sought solace in the religion of, uh, of our father. Like I know for sure that was when I was able to grief through the strictures of religious Judaism was the thing that got me through it because religion's like, Religion, all religion, but especially Judaism, is like the absolute perfect thing for grief because they tell you what to do. And when you're in that kind of grief, you truly don't know what to do. And so David and I would go to temple to say like the mourner's prayer on Friday nights. And David would go every day, but I would go on Friday nights. And um, and and I got to forge my own, what felt like my own connection to that religion for the first time in my life. And that stuff that happened to me in those grief years are still ambiently a part of my life. And that's when I sort of started to feel like I could wear the religion. It wasn't dichotomous. You know, I felt dichotomous. It felt like my, my, that there was a choice. And then in the end, there wasn't a choice and I could wear it like a loose garment and I could forge and create my own relationship with this, with this thing. And that's still in my life today. Still. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Moshe, you just, you just said a a, a really deep thing. I think, I mean, especially since, we have some eye towards like a sibling relationship. Like what you said about how, especially in a divorce, you have one other sibling, you really feel like that's the person who gets my life. And like, we had this very divided kind of life, but Moshe was the other person who really understood that. And though we made totally different choices around it, I think you're right, Moshe, that it was so it was so clear to me why someone would deal with that data the way Moshe did. And I think clear to him, the way, like how I might make the choices I would make. And I think it, it, that's, that's a lasting, like, that's a thing that, that I think stays with, like, I have a, I have a, I have a great appreciation for 
like a, a rejection of religion. And I think M- M- Moshe has a certain sympathy for an embrace of religion in a mm. way that somebody else in our path might not because of that really sibling understanding. Cool. Interesting. Interesting way to say that. 100%. How you have sort of compassion for rejection of religion. That's, that's, that's uh, really interesting, actually, the, given what well, you're Well, he was raised in are. a secular world. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, and I think like, and I, and I was, I'm a secular guy that was raised in a religious world in some bizarre way. Like I would even take it a step further, David, and say, I don't, I not only understand why you make, why your life led you on the path that it's led you on. I've always kind of, I feel like you're doing it for like in my name in a weird way. Like I honor the choice a hundred percent. Cause I'm like, oh, he did it. Like he did the thing. He went that route that was, was offered to us. It was never going to be me. I just always felt that wasn't just not going to happen. That wasn't going to happen for me. And so I'm not like, I get why you did it. I'm like grateful that you did it because it like carries on that part of the legacy of our family in, in, in a way. Right. That's interesting. He sort of took the bullet in a sense as you did the comedy route. So, (laughs) you know, that's another way to say it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But you get to take care of the comedy, you know, you're doing it for me. He's doing it for me. Exactly. For both of us. Exactly. I'm surprised he doesn't well, write way, bits for you. For, for, I know. For, you, you, do you write bits you for David? Do you ever write any bits for David? For, for his, you know? like... <laughs> no, the truth is, David is... Uh, we both have the skill of the other person to some degree. Like, I do know how I do know and am passionate about like sincerity. And, uh, you know, if you, if you read my book, like, um, a lot of that is non-comedy and it's, it's actual, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough read in Mm -hmm. some ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, and David is definitely genuinely a funny rabbi. Like Mm -hmm. he genuinely is a funny person. I mean, it's, so I think we both know I've never written a joke for David, but, uh, but he's probably written a joke for me. He came up with that on my hook. Yeah. For the sake of doing write it. Write him with like a, like a, like a quick five. Yeah. <laughs> Just to see. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. When I hear him do a sermon at his uh, temple, I definitely am punching it up in my mind. Of like, course. Ooh, that would have been a great place. <laughs> totally. But I'm, I'm so aware of bad rabbi humor that I'm a great admirer of comedy, but I, I actually do my best not to bring it on the pulpit because it just feels like ick most of the time. Looking at you two brothers, and as we, we always said this in the beginning, you know, you guys, oh, we, we're in such different parts of the world as far as sort of what we do for a living, but the rabbis are performers at heart. Oh my God. I mean, every temple I've been to, every sermon I've seen, it, it, it's a performance. I mean, it's a performance. Yeah. Well, and the, and the trippy thing, I think, is that we also are both verbal performers yeah. for a living, and our parents were deaf. And that's kind of striking that we both kind of talk for a living. And we didn't, that wasn't our first, you know, like language experience. Mm. Do you sign as you do your, when you're working? No, 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 no. If, if I, yeah, I can't, I can't do both at once. So if, if my mom is there, I have an interpreter there. But Moshe, isn't that what you did for a minute? You were an interpreter. I was an interpreter for a long time. Yeah. Before I became a full-time comic, I was a sign language interpreter. And it was, that was the, that was the best. That was the greatest Comedy. It was my, you know, for it's funny because we grew up, like I, I said, like we grew up pretty, we grew up on welfare, pretty damn poor, like, and and I was an eighth grade dropout, you know, and and uh, I never kind of got past that until I finally at some point went to college, like, 
I, the economic futures were not bright for me, but in reality, I went from, I had two jobs. I had sort of, I went, I was a bear. I dressed up in a bear costume. So I got my start in show business early. That was my first job was bear costume. And my second job, which I did until I became a full-time standup was a sign language interpreter. And so like the, the weird fallout that kind of created you know, the economic depression in our family in the end made me as a very young person, 17 is when I started interpreting, have a pretty good job for a person my age. Yeah. Like I always, like it gave me this like kind of, and it was the thing that got me directly to being able to chase my dream of being a comedian because it was, I was making enough money and I could take time off when I wanted. It was kind of the perfect job. Mm-hmm. How cool. So real quick, just going over, thinking about these sort of where you went and the rehabs you went to and the sort of institutions that you were put into, you know, do you think that it was overkill? Do you think that you needed- The response to me? Yeah, do you think that it was that that you were getting put into these institutions? Do you think that it was you were just being thrown around and is in, 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 into the system in a sense and not actually being taken care of on a one-on-one personal basis? And I'm only saying this because when I read all your stuff, there were so many of them. I'm like, holy shit! You know what, what's going on here? Well, uh, I that's a complicated question for me to answer because the answer is definitely both yes and no. Um, because on the one hand. You know, as a sign language interpreter, I got the opportunity to uh, like interpret at a, at middle schools. You know, and so I would be at a middle school and be looking at the kids and going, "Okay, I wasn't like that. I was I was genuinely a a really troubled kid. Like I could look at that and go, yeah, I was on a different vibration of trouble than the kids I'm looking at here. I'm sure they, they I'm not saying they had it easy, but I just in terms of the out loudness of my chaos." I was really, really a troubled kid. On the other hand, like, you know, my, my, we said that she got to be a born again hippie, but the truth is my mom's religion was therapy. And that's just, uh, the 80s analysis. The The eight, they called it, it was an analysis. I remember Mm -hmm. that was mom's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and she, she worshiped at the altar of therapy. And, and so her answer to me starting to get in trouble was just increased therapy like more therapy and so i was in at certain at a certain point in my youth this is true i was in therapy eight times a week more oh times than there are days <gasps> I, I had i had uh, i was in an after school rehab 5 days a week i was in individual therapy family therapy and then there was a group therapy session for like wayward boys or whatever so i was and then what happens is, you know, a lot of like, there's a lot of talk of, of like the prison, the, the school to prison pipeline that happens to a lot of like uh, uh, communities of color and black communities and Latino communities. That's a very real and this, you know, everybody knows about that phenomenon. For me, I got into this thing that I don't know how many other people have ever experienced. With, it was the special education to prison pipeline. Like what, in, because we, my mom's worshiped at therapy, the, the, the 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 problem that was me had to be solved through therapeutic means and so i was put into institutions and put into therapy and put on medication and everything had an increase and then put into the special education system cuz they decided i had learning disabilities so i was once you get shunted into the special education system you go down this road that i went further down that road than a lot of people go but it's a very it can be a very dark road especially if you are 
in fact, not being served. You know, like if you have real uh, learning disabilities, it can be really uh, liberating. But for me, maybe I did have those things, but all of a sudden I started going to a special education class. Then I got kicked out of that school. So I went to like a special education school. Then I got kicked out of that school. So I went to this thing called a, a SED school, which is a severely emotionally disturbed school which was literally like a mental hospital, but in an educational setting. Did you felt like you fit into that setting though? I mean, did you feel like you were severely? No, I I knew I didn't belong there, but I also didn't have the ability to do anything in the regular setting that would like get me to get my shit together. And so I was like lost and I could see where it was going. You know, I really like look down the road and I go, oh, I see where this lands me. I, I'm, I'm, and that was sort of one of the big realizations I had before I got sober is like, I kept saying, and actually David is a perfect person to have on for this realization because David was the, the road less traveled. You know, I would just look at him and I would go, oh, okay. I'm just like, I'm a couple decisions away from becoming David. Like I'm just, and he went to this school called CPS, uh, which was a really good school. And I just had this illusion that I was just going to get it all together and I'll just be at CPS. Like, I get the scholarship he got. I Like, my destiny could be that. And I just couldn't do it. Like, I just couldn't do it. And, and I, you know, I'm, I dropped out of eighth grade. I flunked ninth grade. I dropped out of, I flunked ninth grade, I think, three times. So it was like, you know, I was I was on the road to becoming that like you know cool senior with a beard and a Camaro. You know, with your <laughs> with your uh, your Nissan. You know, like impressing yeah. all the all the friends. I just was, and I had yeah, it was bad for a while. Like, it was bad, and I just had this realization like, oh, nothing is going to change if I don't change something. Mm. And that was sort of the beginning of the unraveling of uh of my illusion that the the people around me were my problem and that if they just leave me alone, I could get it together. Mm. And so then I got sober and everything changed. And now I'm 42 years old and I'm, I've been sober a long time. And now looking back on that, the answer is definitely, it could have been done differently. And I do think that I wasn't served by the amount of like, you know, force feeding, waterboarding of mm-hmm. torture, of, of therapy and, uh, and medication and special education and therapists, it just made me, the more analyzed I got, the more uh, diseased I felt. Yeah. So the answer is both yes. It could have been different, but nobody could have made the right choice. Where did, David, how did you fit into that in the, in this period? I know you were at college, but like, did was there anything that, like, did you feel a desire to intervene or try to help or were you just trying? Yeah, I think... Yeah, like I said, I, I think when we were young, I was just like sort of eye roll, like, what's wrong with you? Like, get it together. And then I started like, yeah, once around the time that everything was kind of crashing and burning, I started to feel worried. Like, maybe this is like, maybe I was going to have a brother just like not going to not going to turn out well. And I was already in college at that point. So I was like kind of far from it. And um, and God bless my mom. I mean, she just, you know, she may be over therapized them, but she threw everything she had at you know, supporting him. And um, did you ever fear that he was going to not make it, meaning he's going to end up dead? Yeah, or dead or like, yeah, maybe dead, but, but, but maybe like in just like a loser, like, or just like, just barely floating above the surface or maybe in jail or maybe, yeah, like just someone who's not going to do well. And I, you know, Moshe's like a brilliant guy, always has been. And I could see, I like, 
I, it was obvious that he, you know, it is like one or two decisions away, except that like Moshe would make the wrong decision so consistently that after a while, it's like a thousand bad decisions leads to just like a bad life. So yeah, I mean, it's like the, the sad part in all this is that I was like a lock to be the most successful sibling. Like that was always my, <laughs> my inheritance. And then it like turned all of this into a comedic career. And now like, well, he's the big I was going like, to ask that question. Like when you're going through all this shit and you're being sort of thrown and thrown therapy at you and institutionalized, and all, did comedy play a part in sort of getting through this in any way? Or were you so, were you not even there yet? Or was funny no, still a part uh, of yeah, who like, you were? Yeah, like, were you funny? A hundred percent. If you are going to be, of all the different places I didn't fit, if you are going to be the white boy in the black school, like, you've got very limited choices uh, for social survival. One is to be as white as you possibly can and, like, sort of cove up and just be like, we're, we're waiting till we get into the private high school. And mm -hmm. that was not, uh, that's David. And uh, <laughs> and the other is the other would be to be you know uh, to be like find a way to be fully accepted by the kids there and that wasn't quite going to be so the third option was just to get be able to make get some attention by being funny and I a hundred percent think that you know the, the like the the foundations of my stand up are my years in AA and my years in the Oakland public school system mm -hmm. figuring out how to come back when somebody makes fun of you because you know. The kids in the school, they were funnier than I was. So I had to, I had to figure something out. Yeah, isn't it a beautiful thing, though? I mean, without without everything that you've been through, you wouldn't have what you have and be who you are. I mean, that's very cliche to say, but it's just the truth. You cut your teeth on your own experiences, really. Yeah. You cut your teeth on your own pain, you know? I mean, it's, it's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah. the crazy thing about listening to Moshe's comedy is that, like, he's, I mean, it's like he, there's a comedic style and it's embellished, but he's like just telling, like I know that he's just telling the truth up there. You know what I mean? It's just like he tells stories in a funny way, but there's like, he's just like telling his story on stage. Mm -hmm. Well, they say that a lot of people say I'm like the, the number one truth teller in comedy. That's like what a lot of people say about me and mm -hmm. stuff. So that's a thing <laughs> that everyone always says. <laughs> yeah. No. You want to put that in the blurb for right. the podcast? Or something yeah, like number that. one truth teller. <laughs> but I mean, I think David did that too. I mean, I think David alchemized his pain and his alienation to find forge this really interesting spiritual path. I think we all kind of do some version of that. And like, to circle back to your last question, like, could it have been done different? I was thinking about it like, yes, my mother could have done it differently and it would have been better, but no human being would have been able to make the right decision based on the the input they were getting from me. Dude, Nobody right. could have done I mean, it, but I, it could have been done. I've been, I, while you've been telling your story, I've been putting myself sort of um, in your mother's shoes because I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old boy. And I, I can't even imagine if no. they dropping out of fucking eighth grade and not, and I, I mean, like, I don't know, I don't I mean, even know how I handle times, it. I don't even know how to handle it. I, I, I don't, I don't know empathetically how I would you, even, what I would, would even just, do. I'd would kill like them. I mean, maybe I'd kill them. I don't know. I mean, you would, I mean, it would Screaming, be, like, you well, know. You would I, definitely have more anxiety. Oh yeah, I'd probably just run. You definitely. I'd probably go find our biological father and just live with him. <laughs> One of the hardest things in life, you know, on but 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 then is is to watch your children struggle. Oh god! And and you know that it's coming from something painful. I mean, all of that must have been just so mm -hmm. challenging for her. Mm -hmm. You know, she it's definitely like, did a hero's job. Yeah. Do, 
Yeah. And there's there's a, uh, the famous um, every deaf every person with deaf parents has this experience. Although I might have had a slightly more acute, which is that you, as you're navigating through systems like this, you know there needs to be an interpreter everywhere. Every mm-hmm. therapy session, every every uh, arrest, every arraignment, every court hearing, every rehab thing, all of these need an interpreter. And half the time they just didn't remember to get one. Mm. And so I had the unique experience of being asked to translate <laughs> uh, a meeting about which I was the subject and my behavior issues were the subject. And yeah. so you have to, that's a fun experience too, because oh, you kind of figure a way to God. Well, yeah, soften, manipulate it right. a little bit. All of a sudden you're, you're let like off. Not a bit. telling you the whole like, truth. But you he's know a good, but you kid. Can't, he's like, a good kid. <laughs> but no, you can't go. He's a good kid because you know, like, our mom's not dumb. So if you were like, he's a good kid, she'd be like, why the fuck did you bring me into this meeting then? So you got to be like, you know, he's not a good kid, right. but like honestly, he's misunderstood in many ways, and he's a good tagger. Yeah. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. <laughs> the amount of therapy, right. I I might not have had eight days a week of therapy, but not far, not far, uh, pretty close. But but the um. I will say that there must have been something, especially when you're younger, to be doing that, you become your own witness. So, like, as as you're having to translate what's going, it's like there's your reactivity has to stop because you're translating. So you actually are processing and probably processed a lot of that differently than most children would. That's mm-hmm. just me thinking mm-hmm. about the brain. That that as actually mm-hmm. like a better explanation for like the kind of very verbal qualities of our lives, you know, or in our careers. Then I was just like, I was just sort of wondering about that. Like, oh, we we had deaf parents, but actually, we're doing translation all the time. And I think you're right that that mode is like of switching back and totally. forth. I mean, you're saying it has a therapeutic effect, which is you're able to observe, and it right. also I think just has a cognitive like you become a translator, right. Yes. And and then and then you see as as we know like when you become your own witness is when change can happen. Um or where it's where it starts. And and so that just the very f- fact that that was a part of the experience might be something interesting. Might be that moment That's when it. you said you know, when you were saying, I was reading, you know, when you were saying it just happened like one day, it just like was like, oh, that's it. It's done. Mm. You're saying maybe it was like subconsciously being laced in through all of that stuff. I mean, I think that is interesting. And I, yeah, what do, to what do I owe? I mean, because I grew up with a lot of kids that did die or did go to prison. And a lot of the people that I, you know, got sober with didn't make it. And like, I always think there's that big question, like, to what do I owe the clarity? Is it because I'm so smart? Is it because I'm destined for good things? Like, was the guy sitting next to me not not destined for that? His destiny was to die? Like, what is it that granted me the privilege yeah. of perspective? And maybe it is that. Maybe it is all the, like, uh, the, uh, the experiential perspective that was forced down my throat gave me that little bit of mm-hmm. extra right. thought mm-hmm. to be able to or what yeah. it or it trained your brain it just trained possibly trained your brain to be able to take the space instead of constantly be doing reacting i don't know at interest it just came up for me <laughs> I, I i i'm it's it's but i i think it's also it's not just the interpreting it's also like well the other stuff like about living in two different realities growing up and i think a lot of us have this like you know all for, all kinds of like switching from culture to culture and code to code and just sort of like 
have gr- growing up in a kind of a mashup society, I think that like that that does train our brains in a certain way to be like, yeah, I think there's something good about it. Like for all of the confusion that it can cause a a kid trying to like you know make make their way in the world, there's also something that like it, it fosters a certain kind of sensitivity, tolerance, maybe awareness mm-hmm. that you that you don't have if you just grow up kind of monolithically. Yeah, it's yeah. really really uh, spot on. What Do you about- guys have kids? Sorry, do you have kids? I don't. I have a kid. I have one kid. How one old kid. is your kid? Four, four and three quarters. She will tell you vociferously if you tell her she's five. <laughs> she's we four. have a four-year-old. Yeah. We have a four. It's the funniest age. I just love it, especially for girls because they're just becoming completely their own person. Do you have fear raising kids? Yeah. Well, I, you know, on the one hand, I don't. Because I go, I really feel, even when we have this conversation, I've had this conversation, obviously I've talked about my past a lot because yeah. I wrote a fucking book about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it always feels like I'm reporting on a, on a stranger on some level. Like it always feels like I don't even know that kid anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it feels, I, I, I feel like I've done, I've come so far and uh, I'm, I'm, it just doesn't feel like my reality. Like it's in my, that whole idea, like it's in my DNA kind of, Yet, every time my my kid takes a turn into a behavioral new zone where she becomes a bigger brat, I go, okay, we're here. It's arrived. <laughs> Karma, Karma's like, now this is her new, she is now this. This is the beginning. Yeah. This is not a phase. This is the new. This is it. You, you see? Yeah. But also, she is so much like Moshe. I mean, not in any right. of these, no, no bad, like, predictors yeah. yet, but for sure, she's doing great. Uh, but as a character and as a, like, an energy, she's just so Moshe's child. Oh, my That's God. So but I know what you mean with the phases. Well, it's me. like, oh, my God, now this is who this fucking th- kid is, and then now I'm screwed. And then you notice in three, four, yep. five months, it just shifts, you know. Yeah. But yeah. you do worry. It's like nature nurture, you know. Is that is that DNA in there, you know? And do we have this... this I always say, yeah, yeah. Well, we just, we inter- we interviewed this woman who found out she had 35 siblings. And so that nature nurture <laughs> came into question. And she was like, the truth is there's a lot of nature. Like they have so many similarities. Like across the board, it was just like weird, weird stuff. The thing about nature and nurture in our situation is I have adjusted the nature of the nurture so hard like you know if even if she was coiled in 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 such a way to be the exact same spring as me she's not flying to brooklyn and pretending to be a hasidic jew she's not (laughs) doesn't have have parents that hate each other from across the coast she's it's all different so we've adjusted enough elements that i feel like she's got her own she might be troubled i mean the way the way that she smokes weed does trouble me a yeah. little bit. But other than <laughs> knows what has to happen, but I think she's been given a track record that I—I I mean, a, a, a runway. I think that uh, will allow her to sort of. Well, forge I feel her like nurture thing. trumps nature. I mean, I always said this well before the Dahmer thing even came out. I'm like, if if Jeffrey Dahmer was a baby and he came into our family, would he still? Have eaten people? Probably maybe, not. Maybe. I don't think so. Like, I don't, I don't even want to that's think interesting. about it. We would have, if, if, if Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell raised Jeffrey Dahmer, so <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I just, he would probably be, you know, on like Party of Five. 
Oh, but for the Goldion, Kurt Russell, Jeffrey Dahmer oh, household, God. everything would have been better. I just, <laughs> I just, you know, yeah, the, I don't even know how to respond. Oh, yeah, man. but he would have eaten the kid's castmates, so it would, it would. Yeah. In the end, kinda, there kinda was gone. a death. <laughs> has your has your kid made it into your into your stand up yet? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that's the bad news about being a person that tells stories about myself on stage and things that happened to me. I wish I was more of a classic observational comedian. I really am like waiting around for shit to go down yeah. so that I can write a new joke. And I gave birth to uh, <laughs> to an endless supply. So yeah, er- everything I'm talking about right now, for better or for worse, yeah. is uh, something that happened yeah. between and us. And then is your wife, is she off limits or does she allow you to, because she's funny too, obviously, but does she allow you to just to go, oh, no. whatever you got to do, you say, say what you got to say. Oh, her entire act is about how I'm a, a sloppy fucking idiot. So no, she's not <laughs> off limits. <laughs> It's like Definitely. she's also just I, a yeah, truth teller. Yeah, all bets are off. Oh, she does. <laughs> she, she annihilates you. No, I told, I told Natasha early on in our... And by the way, now, now, how about this for a plug? You know, we work together a lot on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, where we, we, Look at that. Yeah, that that's so that's fun. Where we, do, we dole out relationship advice without any qualifications. But like the um, the... Early on in our in our relationship, I told her, you can say anything you want about me on stage. And I probably meant, and I'm going to be doing the same. Uh, but <laughs> she she loved that because uh, I feel like the, the, I don't have, this is how the bills get paid. And so she can talk as much shit about me. Now, when she starts talking shit about me uh, in, in the kitchen, uh, mm-hmm. when we're actually one-on-one, right. that shit bothers the fuck out of me. Yeah, yeah, she brings yeah. that exactly. <laughs> argument to the stage right. and humiliates me in front of a crowd. I'm yeah. like, right on, yeah. honey. That's right. <laughs> so when the take argument starts in the personal home, you just say, hey, hey, hold on. Just take take it to the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could craft that into a good bit and then do it in public on TV even, I'm, I'm into that. Right. And then I'll hear you. I'll hear you and I will extrapolate what I need for our relationship from the bit, but just don't do it right here. <laughs> so before we're going to wrap up, I want to do the speed round um, soon, but I just, I wonder like, Having a rabbi as a brother, do you seek his advice? Is he your rabbi? Is your brother your spiritual counselor? A hundred percent, yes. And I don't think it's because he uh, is a rabbi. I I think it's... I think... Are you ready for some trite bullshit? Mm -hmm. I think (laughs) he's a rabbi because he is the kind of person that uh, I would always go to with a spiritual problem. I think that he, my brother, um, went way beyond the trauma of our childhood and has become a a really um, brilliant and introspective and deep, powerful thinker about the human condition and about the spiritual quest that is life. And so I think that's why he became a rabbi, because he was destined to be one. And I'm lucky enough that I have a brother that gets to answer those questions. Cool. Oh, my God. That's so nice. Beautiful. That's so nice. I I, I really thought you were going to say the opposite, like 100% no, no, because like we are just, we're so just brothers to each other. There's nothing else we can be. I mean, like, I'm as likely to ask Moshe for advice about something as he is to turn to, you know what right. I mean? Like, it's, yeah. But, uh, but I appreciate that, that, that the description. I, oh, but I, am, I am something of an avatar. <laughs> no, but uh, David uh, played every character in Avatar 2, and uh, 
But no, David does come to me as well. And because I'm not bad at advice either. Um, because, you know, <laughs> endless honey. Because you're on an endless honeymoon. I, <laughs> no, but I, I, I think I, I meant that specifically is like David, I don't come to David as my rabbi. I come to David as the person who I would take my, my biggest issues with because he is, he is my brother. And I feel like other people are lucky enough to have him as a spiritual counselor too. How about that? That's right. nice. One more question. And do you believe in God, Moshe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a, uh, it's not a no. Yeah. I, I'm sort of with you. You know, I, 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 it's not a no, but so I, I don't want to open a can of worms because we all got to go here, but a, a, agnostic atheist is agnostic and correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, there's something, but I just don't commit to anything. Is that kind of what agnostic means? I asked the rabbi. Agnostic is I don't. I Oh yeah, it's the rabbi, absolutely. Well, yeah, agnostic meaning like not having knowledge. Like I don't, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know the answer to the question. I do think on some level that's not far from like Jewish belief. Mm-hmm. Like I think on some level our our core message is like, yeah, there is a God. We have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Like nobody ever could. It's so far beyond. Yes, we've had experiences of this God, but like. We don't, you can't describe it. You can't pronounce its name. It's so far beyond. So like, mm-hmm. there's a kind of agnosticism that I think is in, embedded in Judaism. That's interesting. Yeah, there's, yeah. There, there's, there's something really remarkable about the, the Jewish story. It's like, why are we still here? And like, there's some, there's some, like, there's some, we have impressive representation in some ways. Like, you know, it's like, so, like, like a borrow the term from the black community, but like Jewish excellence. Like, I feel like I, there is some of that and it's, it's, it's something I'm proud of, but I do think. Look, it's not like inherent, like in our cells. I don't, I don't, I don't think that. I, I do think that it's like it's the wisdom of like having of of historical experience. But I also think like it's a certain path, and there is something mystical about that path because, as as I said, at the heart of it is of this mysterious force that we don't claim to really fully understand, but we kind of like committed early on to this idea that if you could tap into that force, like it would, it would, it would be life-giving and it would like, it would be life stabilizing and it would be like, it would help you build communities and it would help you like find rhythm in the world and find meaning in the world. And that, that energy has sustained us through history. So I do, I do really think that like we, we, our people tapped into something really early on and it's been driving us through history in this really, in this really incredible, remarkable way. Isn't that kind of the theme of what we've, what we've been talking about this whole time is this is on a macro cosmic level, like you are the product of your bizarre story and your trauma and your good and your bad and your defeats and your wins and your losses. It forges you into this person or this society or this people. I think the same thing is true with almost every marginalized community, like the the, the oppression creates, unfortunately, dynamism too. And so it's all a big mess of you are, you are, this is, this is the, the nurture that the Jewish people have had created a very interesting people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I've just had a tough time with organized religion. I just never understood it. It always felt elite to me because who's to say that one is right and the other is wrong. I, I never understood that ever. David well, is. L- you're in, you're David. in luck. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. No, because, um, no, because it's a bit, we're we're a very disorganized religion, you know. Like, there's no official dogma. There's no actual leader of the religion. Like, you know, Kate was saying early on that her rabbi told her that yes, like questions are encouraged here, and it's like they're not encouraged. Like that's like they're the foundation. Like it's like 
that's our holy work, you know, like the 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 easy, the kind of like um the most famous way to say it is that the name Israel means like the one who struggles with God, right? And and so that's like that's the idea. Like we're just still like still grappling with this concept and talk we've been talking about it for thousands of years now. And that's that's the religion, is the talking about it and the asking the questions, you know, mm-hmm. not not so much the answers, because like I said, on some yeah, level we great. believe like it's so beyond any answer we could give. Yeah. I want to keep talking about it. Okay. Speed round. Um, Okay. One word to describe each other as kids. I I say about him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Um, Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) One word to describe each other now. Chaos. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, uh, David? Sharp. I'd say brilliant. I'd say brilliant. Oh, I love you guys. Who was the favorite? I mean, I we can answer. I mean, who was the favorite? We were just talking about even- this. Depends on which parent you ask. Right, I was about to say. Depends That's on which right. parent, yeah. So I'm going to assume. Was, my dad liked him. Yeah. yeah. My mom liked me. Yeah. You know, my, mom, my mom liked the chaos on some level too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, who was more social? Moshe. Yeah, me. For sure. Who's bossier? Moshe. Yeah, yeah, me. Who's the most book smart? Oh, duh. Come on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're Definitely a rabbi. David. That's like, that's like an by unfair. A, by a factor, yeah, by a factor that isn't even quantifiable. What was your first? David happened? is famous. Yeah, that's David the famous. For that's people. the job is books. <laughs> that's, that's the job. No, David, <laughs> David's famous for being at a party, like a good party, and like cracking open a, a Aramaic tome in the kitchen, and you'd be like, "Most <laughs> 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 is more social." <laughs> what was um, your first concert? Oh, uh, mine is so embarrassing. What is it? I, was it Warren? I think it's Warren, Warren, the band Warren, and Trickster and Firehouse, Firehouse. were opening, and it was at Great America. Pretty oh, great. Wait, Warren hosted. is the best. Wait, what was mean, Hosted. Hold on. Pie. We haven't given you the best detail. Right. Hosted by the one and only Pauly Shore. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> told Pauly that recently, Jane and he was so stoked. He was, he was so excited. Was I remember that concert because David took me, and we, there was this hot rock girl. And I was like probably nine. And she goes, do you like the concert? And she spoke to me. And I was like, yeah, it was pretty cool. Or whatever. <laughs> um, it was great. It was great. Love to Warren. I think our actual first concert was Paul McCartney. And it was with, we were we were even younger. I think that was before wow. Warren Trickster that, and Firehouse. That's we much were cooler. Kids. Paul McCartney might even be better than Warren Trickster and Firehouse. I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> but not than Pauly Shore. No. Not Pauly, than Pauly. Pauly Shore. First celebrity crush. Oh, um, Winona Forever. Oh, uh, Winona's good. Oh, Winona, Winona Ryder. Yeah, me too. Really? Oh God, I love mean, girl. Nicole Eggert was mine, but. <laughs> what? It's just two completely different vibes. <laughs> You're like know. Nicole Eggert, but I, Winona Ryder. I just saw Heather's, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. when. I was in love with her. <laughs> what was Moshe's? Uh, I would say the Noxima girl. 
Remember her? <laughs> oh, dude. Anybody familiar? I actually might. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> you might literally know her. Noxzema. Is that like yeah. Nikki Taylor? No. Noxzema. That's so funny. I will never forget Noxzema. <laughs> I use Noxzema. Did you use Noxzema? I don't use Look up Noxzema, girl. Look up Noxzema, girl. She was a she was an a, a, an icon. Yeah. There was, I don't know what she what happened to her, but she was definitely um song of your childhood. Like what is sweet child of mine? Mm-hmm. That's a good so, one. Uh, I would I would say um, probably like get in where you fit in by by too short mm-hmm. or uh, nothing but a G thing. I think those are you know probably the. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Gayhart. Rebecca Gayhart. Is the Noxima girl. Yeah. You know her? <laughs> Can you introduce me? <laughs> <laughs> she is pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was like. Um, okay, favorite book. Desert Island book. Favorite, well, okay, favorite book. Oh, wait, this, this is the name of my podcast. Best book ever. It's the Torah. I got to say the Torah. <laughs> That's like, I'm, I'm obligated. <laughs> my favorite book. Is that too- um, that's hard? It's different hard. than my Desert Island book, you know, because like favorite book means one I want to read again and again. Which maybe that would be something like you know, Lord of the Rings or the Narnia Chronicles. But right. probably my favorite book I ever read is Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Speaking of Jewish um, trauma, oh and, yeah, uh, that's a wonderful book. That's maybe my favorite book ever. Um, okay, you do this last question. Uh, Two part question. Number one being, you guys answer these, you know. Um, so if if there was something that you could take from your brother, some piece of light, something amazing that you wish that you had for yourself, what would that be? And then if you could sort of alleviate something from your brother to make his life just a little bit better, what would that be? Well, I mean, the what I would take from David is... Uh, that one's easy. I would take his ability to study a topic in in depth because I I have a bit of the ADD, you know, I can't focus in me. And so David's ability to deep dive and read and read and read, I would definitely take that. What would I alleviate from him? Oh, man. Um, this is hard because David's an extremely private person. So uh, maybe I would alleviate that. That's a good way to cheat and cop out of this question. Uh. I would... <laughs> Um, I would just want, I would maybe, maybe um, uh, uh, the, the, any sense that he's not exactly where he's supposed to be. I would, uh, I would take that, uh, you know, just the, 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 the yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good, that's politically. Great. Yeah. I, love um, I think I would, um, what I would take from Moshe is his, his confidence. Like he just has always been very sure of like, of of who he is and and what he what he thinks and not really cared so much if other people like didn't think the same thing and that's very powerful and I've never had that and um and the thing I would alleviate him uh uh from is his um maybe his pessimism his fear of like the the future and the and the state of state of the world I'd, I'd maybe I'd I'd, I'd want to lend him some some optimism great. Beautiful. That would never work. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You guys are the best. How can you teach me how to sign thank you? 
Another one's very easy. It That's is. an easy one. Okay, there's going to be another yeah. one. Good? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Also, and then, the Thank you. And then how about hope to see you again? Oh, gosh. Oh. Uh, hope. A little harder. Hope. 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 To see, see you. You. Again. 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 So and then we'll teach you a new one. We do. Us too. Me Yay. too. Me too. This is a good one. This is a very California one, you know? I love that. Yeah. yeah. Do you do a lot of, do you do a lot of yeah. just drop-ins at the, at the comedy store and all that stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's Will my, that's my home club in town. Yeah. 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 yeah I would love to. Yeah. yeah any, come- any show ever you guys yeah, that'd be great. Also, you guys should uh, should come by Ecar sometime if you ever want to check yeah, it out. I would we meet every Saturday. Too. Yeah, Danny did wrote a book. It's called uh, Parsha Nut, and it's available on Amazon right now. It's a That's real true. deep dive into his biggest passion, which is the the Torah reading of every week, and it's a uh, real deep, real powerful, but not as deep and powerful. As this it's bad boy right here. The endless This is perfect. Guys, this was so great. This was, was fun. so guys, fun. Thank you for taking the time. It was it went very long, but it was It was interesting. great. It really was interesting great. I could have talked to you guys yeah. forever. I love Griffin. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Same here. For sure. Great, great meeting That's you. Awesome. Yeah, great meeting really you Really good to meet you. I think have guys. a good night. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Breslin. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. If you want to show us some love, rate the show and leave us a review. This show is powered by Simplecast. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.